Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Day number five of the 12 Days of Podcast, our third annual run up until Christmas. New episodes every day, every single day. How are we doing so far? Pretty good. Pretty We're almost good. Uh, halfway done booking people. Information you did not need to share. <laughs> We are almost halfway done airing the episodes, is what you should have said. Uh-huh. Day number one. Guap Dead 4000. Boom. Day number two. Kodak Black. Boom. Day number three. Denzel Curry. Boom. Day number four. Two Jews and two black dudes review the movies. Airplane. Exclamation point. Boom. Exclamation point. And today, day number five. Amina Tussau. Double boom. Double boom. Yeah, well, you know, Mina One Sow gets a one boom. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's a thinker, not that, a stinker. That one is a yeah. That is. Or maybe it's a thinker and a stinker. One, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but our guest today, Amina Tussau, is a whole she, bunch of things. Yeah, she's a thinker. She's a thinker. She is a podcaster. Call your girlfriend. She's a soon-to-be author. She is a digital strategist. She's an interviewer. She's just an overall dope person. Yeah. And we were really happy to have her up here because this is one of the. Most fun and funny interviews you are going to find. Shout out to Aminatu for coming up here. Shout out to Shinsuke Ikeda as well. He is our Kramer, so he just stops by whenever he wants. And he did so in this episode today. So, as some people may know, Jeff. Yes. This run of podcasts that we do every year Mm -hmm. is meant to get the word out, is meant to flood the market, is meant to give you great content, whether you are at home, whether you are traveling, whether you are at work, whether you don't celebrate any holiday and just need something to listen to, it is our present to you and we don't ask for a thing. Except. Well, except we do want the word to be spread. Yeah. And, and, And that falls on our shoulders, of course, but we hope that you guys in return, we'll just tell a friend. So that can mean that you're, you know, telling people about one of our episodes. It could mean that you're leaving a review on iTunes or a comment on SoundCloud. It could mean that you are adding 2 Chains and saying, hey, 2 Chains, do It's Thrills podcast. You know, any of these things are good ideas. Some are way better than others. But as long as you're doing something, we would really appreciate it. And that's it. That's it. Jeff, seven more episodes in the 12 days of podcast finishing off December strong. When do you want to get into this episode? Right after I tell people that tomorrow, Real Life Kaz, Kazim Famuide, is on the podcast. Finally. 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 In stores now. Right now. Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. Harold and the Purple Crown, a.k.a. Supreme Line. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Sweating to the Oldies, a.k.a. Cougar Fetish. Hi, it's Ami <laughs> I should have worked on all my nicknames. It's me, DJ Snack Pack. <laughs> Yeah, this is your third favorite podcast and waste time with it's the real. Amina, what is happening? Yo, Yo. it has been a day today. Already. Yeah. But thank you so much for making the journey. Listen, you know, you need a passport to come into Manhattan. <laughs> and your part of Manhattan, I'm like, I don't I come here two times a year to do Christmas shopping. Where? That's what's gonna happen today. You know your fancy shops here. No. I'm yeah. just like it's it it's feels all safer. frozen yogurt places. Listen, does frozen the, yogurt travel? The Froyo <laughs> haberdasheries down here are very. I just like. I think they're all drug fronts. How do they pay the rent? The Froyo place around the corner is heavily trafficked by Orthodox Jews. Wow. So like every 
whatever, like Saturday night, Sunday night, mm-hmm. it is Poppin'. just packed mm-hmm. with oh. a lot of big black hats. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a tray of food. So what can I say? <laughs> what can I say? How are you dealing with the weather right now? Because it's finally winter. You know, winter is a choice. Mm-hmm. And so I am decamping to California shortly. Wow. Mm-hmm. Because Smart. we don't have to live like this. No, this we true. have to this jump is, into the fire. Yeah, this is wild. The <laughs> other thing that is going on though is that I, um, so I'm in menopause currently mm-hmm. because I like I had cancer and I had my ovaries removed and all this nonsense. Mm-hmm. But I don't have good internal temperature anymore, where I'm too hot all the time. So this winter has weirdly been very mild and chill for me. Whoa! Because Satan is inside my body. <laughs> So I am like my struggle every day is like taking my coat off, right? Because I'm always too hot. But yeah, I see that the people are cold outside. The fight against cancer didn't like give you anything that you can like predict weather. No, it didn't. And in fact, like cancer was not as awful as menopause is. So <laughs> that's a different like you know like doctors need to fix menopause. It's pretty awful. Is this like menopause awareness month? You know, it's not. But let's make it. Yeah. <laughs> It's Menopause Awareness Month for women in their 30s who are awesome. <laughs> Fix it! Right, starting in the middle of December and going to the middle of January. Wait, what's the color what do, that what you, do you wear guys around know? your... Oh, for like, menopause? Yeah, what's red. like the bracelet? We wear red. Um, what do you guys know about menopause? That I don't have it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not much, I would say. I know that it's when the meno pauses. <laughs> yes, it's when the meno pauses in your yeah. body. Yeah. You should like read books about this. This is wild. You think we should have like we should become experts on it i'm not saying that you should become an expert but i'm just saying that like if you if you have a mom that you're tight with you Mm -hmm. should probably know about menopause and if you're sleeping with women you should know about periods and you should know about menopause right well the the, see the biggest thing that we've dealt with with our mom recently is that she was hit by a car a month ago what yeah so so, her walking was paused yeah it was are (laughs) we are we getting rich what's going on well Well, yeah i don't know that's that i mean it's not she wasn't hit by a billionaire No, that, that is true. Is she okay though? She's she fine. is. Yeah. She is. It, she went through a bunch. She was in the hospital for a bit, and she's at home. She is in physical therapy, and she's doing Yo. thankfully. But she's so cr- much more yeah, better. She's crutching around than we ever really considered. Because she's on one crutch now, sort of like Tiny Tim. That is yeah. So awful. I'm so sorry. Yeah. It's no, okay. it's it's all right. Like the worst part. I have to say, was while you're in the trauma unit Mm -hmm. and she's so she has pelvic fractures and she has a concussion at that point. You hear about concussions through sports and everything, but seeing it up close and personal is the scariest thing that I've dealt with because I thought, you know, the next the rest of her life is going to be these 30 second cycles that are like the movie Memento, you know, she'd pick up a piece of paper and just be like, I got in a car Memento accident. Memento reference. Yeah, it's like crazy. Clutch yeah. <laughs> but also, you know, like, uh, yeah, I weirdly have been reading a lot about concussions because two friends of mine have had concussions this year, which is wild yeah. also. That is crazy. Yeah, it was like the only thing I always think about is like CTE. Sure. And so it also turns out that there is no good research on women and concussions specifically because they're only like, they only care about football players. And so it is like extra hard if you're a woman with a concussion. So you had two friends yeah, who had like concussions. How did they... Concussions are like happening right now, I guess. Oh, they, yeah. they're in? Well, no, <laughs> they're it, just like three is a in. trend. Yeah. So like... <laughs> three is a trend. Your mom, my two friends, yep. your yeah. friend, peace. Lady <laughs> concussions. Yeah, where's Corey? Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Can we start at the very beginning? Yes, let's start. Or may we start at the very beginning? I mean, let's start. What's the beginning? The beginning is where are you originally from? Oh, my God. Um, yep. You know, we're going there. When, 
this this is like the like immigrant kid like third culture kid like the question that gives you heartburn if i meet people that i don't really care about yes. i always say in and around houston okay mm-hmm. which like i've never lived in houston in no. my life. <laughs> it just sounds i'm like it just sounds like you know you can name like a houston suburb you're just trying time. to wreck your wikipedia page totally <laughs> well, in I, and I, around houston hello <laughs> call me so some people are just like oh my god you guys are excellent journalists i'm like we're not journalists we <laughs> never like fact check or anything i take everybody at their word so i think yeah. You're like 220 something episodes wow. people whoever come up here i imagine someone in there has just been like i don't know i'm yeah. from like minneapolis Where's little duval from um he's, he's from, from jacksonville, jacksonville. Yeah, yeah. are you sure have no you i'm not sure exactly. in and around jacksonville in and around jacksonville um well so i'm originally from guinea okay uh, mm-hmm. it's a country in west africa yes mm-hmm. uh they speak french Guinea is, uh, my family is from there, but they were not living there when I was born. So my family was living in Nigeria at the time. Mm. And so um, it's one of these like weird, like my mom went back home to have me. And so that's where I'm from. That's where my passport is from. Your mom went back to have you there so you would be a Ghanaian national? No, because she like wanted to be near her mom when she had a kid. Like my parents have basically been in exile, like um, because of like political shit that was going on in Guinea and so we li- so we lived in Nigeria and then we lived in Belgium and we like moved around like a ton when I was a kid and so I was like a like classic third culture kid very confused about it's like the question like where are you from nothing gives me more heartburn than that because now I'm like I'm from New York, like this. Right, is, or know? or Houston based yeah, on like around. if you like yeah. it or not. Yeah. Home is where the Wi-Fi connects automatically. <laughs> Home wow, is put Brooklyn. that on a pillow. Yeah. Put it on a T-shirt. <laughs> Sell it in the. It's the real job. <laughs> so where were your formative years spent? Um, mostly in Nigeria. That's where I went to high school. I went to an American high school there. And uh, wait, what's the most American thing that you learned there? Well, so I learned English. Well, yeah, that, so that is pretty American. That is very American. That's pretty American. I like learn English so that I can go to this American school because, you know, I was like, Europe is not lit, you know? Like yeah. when, when I was growing up, my dad was one of the few black men that I knew that had an actual office job. The racism is like very overt. You know, it's very overt, which in some ways I kind of appreciate because you know exactly what's going on. Where people because stand. in America you're just like was that racism or am I being paranoid? <laughs> Which, like, it turns out the two things can be the same sometimes. Well, mm. is but- putting raisins in potatoes racism? <laughs> Listen, it's violence. Uh, so, you know, it was one of those things, like, when I was growing up where America was the place that I, when, whenever I thought about, like, black people that were doing things, I was like, America, they have Cosby's doctor. Not, that did not work out. They, You know, like, there was just this idea that you could be... Um, you could be more than the small like European black life that I had been used to. And so I learned English. I went to this American high school and then I moved here. Um, and by here, I mean, I moved to Austin to go to college at the University of Texas. At Which Austin. is around Houston. Yeah. In, well, you know, in and around the larger Houston <laughs> metropolis yeah. in the, uh, the city of Austin. Did you hook them horns? I hooked them horns so hard. <laughs> I wanted to go to like, I wanted like an anonymous college experience because I always went to small schools. Like my high school oh. class was 29 people and that was the biggest class of my school for a long time. Where were you ranked? 
Um. Oh, you mean like where in the in the, the twenty nine poll? Yeah. Yo, number two. What? Mm-hmm. That's pretty well, wait, great. But, but, but hold up, which way? That's because number one. <laughs> I mean, on, after the like, I wasn't valedictorian because I was not great at the sports. <laughs> and like you know, wait, so, sports oh, so is did not you, like, an accomplishment. No, I didn't fail gym, but it's like we went to a small private school. And so there's no such thing as cheering. Everybody to play like 10 sports because we have to play everything. There's only 29 of you. Yeah, there's only 29 (laughs) of us. And then the girl who was like above me like was a beast. I was like, I'm sorry. We read the same books. I am technically (laughs) smarter than her. But like just because she threw a shot put further than me once, like she gets once. You know, I was was very salty about it. You know what is she doing now? She she works in the medical establishment. She's oh. doing pretty good. She's great. Oh, good She's for great. her. She's great. So you don't I'm, just like hold this weird grudge against her? No, forever? Okay. it's not her. I think that like ranking students is stupid. You know, mm. but also says I was, number two. Yeah, yeah says <laughs> number two. But at the same time, I was like, please, like I know I'm smart. I don't need like a dumb teacher to tell me that. By the <laughs> way, my twin brother ranked number thirty-three. I was thirty-four. Out of how many? Uh, two hundred and something or other. Wow, two hundred people in a high school <laughs> class—that's like yeah. blowing my mind. So when I was going to college, I was like, "How do I get the movie experience of college?" And I was oh like, Texas—that seems big. Yeah. yeah. And so I did it, and I had so much fun. And there are like, you know, I don't know, fifty or sixty thousand kids there. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole campus, like professors, grad school, whatever, is like somewhere there, like. 50, 60, 70,000 yeah. people. I mean, it's huge. Yes. But they make it feel very small. So I, in some ways, I felt cheated. I was like, everybody knows my name. But also, when you're one of the only black people there, everybody does know your name. <laughs> so if you want to be an anonymous black person, don't go to a predominantly white school. <laughs> um, did you find weirdness in Texas? Oh, uh, I mean, Austin, the motto of Austin is like, keep Austin weird. Right. The thing, honestly, that I loved about Austin is that I like I both actually like I liked going to school there, but I love the city. And that was like a very big choice for me when I was thinking about where I wanted to go to school. My dad was like very disappointed I didn't go to an Ivy League. And I like I went to Yale Whoa. and I, I went to visit Yale, got in and I was like, this is I'm like, I can't live here. Right. Like, this is this is not lit. <laughs> and whereas in Austin, I was like, oh, I um. It was the first it was the first like kind of town that I had been in as an adult where it was like I think that this checks a lot of boxes for me and a lot of my community was not the UT community which also helped and you know Austin is still like one of the few good places in America that you can be a small business owner where you can just go and start from scratch you can like work any kind of job and live like a king or you basically or like I my friends always say that you decide how much money you want to make and what lifestyle you want and that's exactly how hard you have to work same it's with just, New York <laughs> yeah you know I mean in New York what is it the metro card now costs seventeen thousand dollars a that year is, correct. is yeah. that yeah. what's going yes. on here yeah. like, and you have to apply yeah yeah it's like every time you leave the house you've already spent like 50 bucks before you get to the train <laughs> so it's just it's crazy but I mean I love living in New York yeah. and also because I grew up moving so much I the idea of settling down in one place for a long time is very stressful to me. So what did you study at school? Um, I studied political science and uh, UT was called government and Middle Eastern studies and economics because I thought I was going to be Christian Amanpour. And my dad was also a diplomat. So I was like, this is what we do. Um, Wait, your dad was a diplomat? Mm-hmm. So, That's why we were moving so much. Oh, uh, gotcha. Would you ever just like take his car and park in places that you weren't allowed to? Um, so... I don't have a driver's license. That's how you know I'm a real New Yorker. (laughs) But um, definitely got into like a lot of 
trouble that now I recognize is not normal. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this way that like we lived is not. I cannot believe we live this way. But also, you know, it's like we lived in in Nigeria, which at the time was like 90s Nigeria was <laughs> not cool. Mm-hmm. Very much feels like the Trump years now where mm-hmm. I'm like, ooh, dictators all up in the place. There's like fascism in the land. So it's the kind of thing where like, you know, we had like armed escorts to school or Whoa. we would have to like bribe our own like drive. Like we had drivers to drive everywhere. We'd have to like bribe our own drivers and like security basically let us party. We'd party wow. with them. They were the connects for everything. Kids would get into all sorts of trouble. So, you know, but I'm like, it all worked out. It's fine. So was that just like night and day going to, you know, UT then? Yeah. I mean, it was night and day moving to America in the sense that, uh, you know, I was like, oh, I can't even drink here. Like, I can't go to a bar and order a drink. So things things like that where I think that like American, the thing that I was very struck by when I moved is how infantilized American kids are like when I went to college my parents asked me they were like do you want us to take you to school and I was like no that sounds ridiculous (laughs) I like I had gone to boarding school so I since I was 14 I didn't lived at home and so I show up at college with like my backpack and my little suitcase and everybody's parents and like their younger siblings (laughs) there's like carloads and and everybody felt sorry for me they were like oh that poor little African orphan girl you know and I was like no I have good parents they just have better shit to do also you can't move yourself into a dorm at 18 like what is wrong with you so you know it's like stuff like that that just made no like I had more freedom in boarding school as a high schooler than I did as a college student like that was an adult and so that was weird to me and it just took a lot of adjusting too and how'd you spend your summers um i spent a lot of my summers like i would go back to europe because that's where my family was and so i would go back to europe like take some friends and i would say like probably the first two years i did that and then the last two years i stayed in austin and just like hunkered down because i had like i had to pay for school yeah and so i would work all summer so that i could afford school all year and still get to go home for like a week or two and take some friends and and what were you doing for your job like what were oh my god i hustled everything (laughs) i worked like scammer (laughs) i mean you know I'm not a scammer because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, I hadn't quite learned the tricks of the trade yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. But no, yet. I, I just, I worked so many jobs because I, like, my parents were not rich. Mm-hmm. And also, like, my dad and I were not really, my mom died when I was, um, when I was 20, 21. Oh, wow. And then, and so, like, I wasn't was super close to my family. It was or? very sudden. Mm. She went to bed, never woke up. Wow. Oh, my God. And, yeah, it was just, like, very awful tragedy. And so, and that kind of, like, shook our family up a lot, I would say. And, you know, like, we went through the ups and downs of, like, wasn't super close to them, whatever. Um, everybody's doing great now. But it was this thing where I wasn't close to my dad. We, like, didn't come from money. And I just had to figure it out. And so I did everything. I worked campus jobs. I like, where did I work? Oh, at the graduate office where it was always answering calls from parents who wanted to know like how their graduate kids are doing. I was like, ma'am, first of all, this is a state school. So this is illegal. I can't even look up the file and tell you, but also your child is getting a PhD. Let them breathe. Like they can do whatever. But I babysat. I like every odd job that you could do. Like I cleaned, I catered, I, any opportunity that you could have to like make a dollar. I was like, I will do it. Did you take anything, uh, that was, uh, Ghanaian in you to your experience in college? Uh, 
I mean, I didn't grow up in Guinea, but I grew up in a house where, like, we speak Fulani, which is our tribal language. We eat the food. Mm -hmm. We are very, like, we're very culturally Guinean, but I had never lived there. And so, and I think that for me, my primary identity has always been as a, like, West African person, because I lived in other countries in West Africa, who had also, like, lived in Europe. And so it was this weird, like, cosmopolitan, I think they call it, like, Afropolitan, a word I fucking Afropop. hate. Like, that shit. <laughs> Afrobeat. But it was, you know, like, it was just this, like, very, this huge meld of cultures. And so I think that, if anything, the thing that I took to college was a flexibility about how you could be in the world. Because it was also the first time that I could figure myself out, you know? And so I just wanted... I was just so happy that I could, you know, I could tell, I could be my own self without the baggage of like, where are you from? Where you come from? Who is your dad? Who, you know, like, what small village are you all from or whatever? Mm -hmm. And so that, like, that's what I loved about America. I was like, it feels big. It feels like you can be anybody you want. So let's give it a try. Yeah. Like we, we lost our dad pretty suddenly um, post-college, but I, I, I found in, in the time since it's been like, not necessarily like. Look, I mean, like, is is tradition very like big in in Judaism and and a lot of cultures? Is tradition right? big in Judaism? It, it, that's the whole song about it. I've heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we don't necessarily take like the tr- those traditions and keep them going. Yeah. It's like finding like what we did as a family and keep those going. Did you find that to be the case after yeah. your mom passed? I mean, I think so in the sense where a lot of things that like my mom and I used to fight about, like typical like teenager stuff, you know, and especially like immigrant teenager stuff where your parents always, you know, they move to somewhere to give you an opportunity and then the older they get, the more traditional they become. And so it just kind of drives you nuts because you're like, well, like, can't put the genie back in the bottle. You know, this is what we're doing. I believe it's pronounced Guinea. <laughs> you can't put the Guinea back in the bottle. Uh, but you know what I mean? Where I where I realized that actually there were some things that I had, I would not say like from my family, but I had gotten from my mom specifically that then became important. I think another thing also that like kind of, and maybe this was true for you all, is that that crystallizes in grief is that, mm. you know, I, I find that some like obviously like it's very hard and it's painful and it rocks your world. But I think that like for some people, it also becomes this huge motivator where you become incredibly driven and focused and like almost to the point of an obsession because it's the way that you forget about the pain that you have. Like this, the semester that my mom died it was my best semester that I performed academically. Like it was scary how well I did. And every, I and I think that like everything that I accomplish in life is from that place of pain. I have a very guilty feeling um, every time I think about this, this, this sort of idea that mm-hmm. would I be here today if my dad, who I want to see my success, yeah. had not, on a, you know, expectedly died yeah Yeah. you know and that's a weird thing to think about but it's is it true i don't know you know i mean i think it's true you know do you think also that you know like the unexpectedness of it has you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop yes so you just feel a sense of urgency about everything in life well yeah and i've always felt me personally i've always felt an urgency in my life Mm -hmm. um prior to even my dad dying i always wanted to step above or beyond my competition in school um i have reoccurring dreams where i am racing towards something or away from something or i'm missing a train or missing a plane and look at us we have the same anxiety dreams are you fascinating are you a sagittarius 
Um, no, I'm an Aries. Okay. What does that mean? I know, yeah. I don't know, you know about this. We don't know what <laughs> astrology is. You just say it and then you <laughs> grin. Yeah. So I think that like the 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 overwhelming story of Aries is that you're like this domineering, like leader, whatever. And wow, you are such an Aries. I, well, here's the thing: is that I. So my mom was also an Aries, and mm. my mom was obsessed with the horoscope, which was hilarious because we were Muslim. So it was this thing where she would do it, but she would kind of do it in secret. But she would read the horoscope in like ten papers, and I and I always thought I was like, you know, we are so different. There is no way this horoscope is real. Like we are two very different people. Mm-hmm. And I think that after she died, my obsession with like just reading my own horoscope and caring about it is just a way to connect to that. Yeah. Not because I actually believe it, right. but because I'm like, oh, this is this is a thing that I grew up with. It is a little, you know, like for in for the religious home that I grew up in was like definitely like not great, <laughs> but also was hilarious. And I think it just like gives me a vocabulary to connect with that part of my mom that's not there anymore. For sure. Yeah, I, um, so I have a twin brother. Uh, we are very different. We are both Leos. Um, oh, that makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, or, or, What's the story about Leo? <laughs> isn't it that, like, they're very much like they want to be the spotlight and... Yeah, that doesn't sound like you at all. <laughs> I've been sitting here quietly this entire time. <laughs> Please, we have to mute your mic. <laughs> um... So wait, what's your sign? Sagittarius. Oh, I'm a Sagittarius. What's the story yeah. of Sagittarius? I don't know. I don't okay, know. We should look it up. I, I well, guess. maybe that is the Sagittarius that just don't know. <laughs> they just don't know, and they're dismissive of the horoscope. Okay, great. That's it. I just find them like typically to be very generic, and I don't put a lot of weight. Sagittariuses. No. Oh. Well, you're, one, astrology. You're, you're not reading the specific the right people because the thing that is hilarious. I don't about read them mo- at all. The thing that is hilarious about modern astrology is how hyper specific it is. Is that right? Yes. Um, Susan Miller. Her advice is insane. She's always like. Listen, Aries, this month is not a great month to buy an air conditioner, and you probably shouldn't get that plastic surgery you're looking into. And you're like, you know what, Suze? That's cool. What if she was in with, like, the Carrier Corporation? She probably yeah. is. She probably big is. Big AC. She probably is. She's in with Big AC. Or, I mean, you know, there are also, like, all these awesome, like, queer astrologists who just give you, like, great affirmations, like Shawnee Nicholas. It's the kind of thing where, you know, it's like, take, take it or leave it. But it is, like, very specific and very hilarious. Okay. Um, I'm going to read your horoscope after this. Oh, please. I, and will you tell me? Oh, this is our friend Shinsuke. He's, like, Kramer. Hello. He just, like, stops by. <laughs> Hi, um, good. How are you? Shin, what sign are you? Uh, Virgo. Oh. What does that mean? I have no idea. Yeah, all right. So we're all, okay. we're all the same. None of us know. So, um, by the way, I know what Virgo is, and I don't like it. <laughs> You're like goodbye. As okay, as a as someone who is doing a lot of jobs in college and you're majoring in a bunch of things. I mean, listen, everybody should major in a bunch of things if you're doing liberal arts because it's literally the same classes. Right. You yeah. just gotta cobble it together. Oh, also, no, remember yeah. how I went to an international school? Yes. Mm-hmm. We were like an AP and IB school. So by the time I got to college, I was already a junior Done. in yeah. college. You <laughs> yeah. know? They were like, oh, dude, like I spent my time just doing whatever I wanted because I had so much credit. But the thing that I wish I had done in college is actually not done liberal arts. I should have actually learned a real skill. I always joke that I want to go back to undergrad and just learn engineering Whoa! because, you know, I was like, all I learned how to do is like write papers and read, which was fine. (laughs) But then I graduated into the recession, which... You know, like, we got a lot of people who know how to read and write papers. Well, so. but, like, how would that have changed, yeah. like, anything? Like, no, would I, you have been, like, oh, I'm a professional IKEA, you know, yeah, put her together? Yeah, I would have been an 
I can't put her together. I can like build bridges and stuff. No, you know, really all it is, is like, I'm not gonna shit on liberal arts education. I think you should, it doesn't matter what you study in college. It like, who cares? Right. Thank God. Right. You know, like it yeah. truly, like it doesn't matter where you go to college. It doesn't matter what you study. It just matters how hard you fucking work and who you know and how you build relationships. And this is the fuck. affirmation yeah. that That's, Jeff needed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Finally, I yeah. can get on with my life. <laughs> yeah. Stop just like looking in the mirror. Yeah, Wait. I mean, it's crazy to spend like $100,000 to be like, I did a keg stand with people who are giving me jobs now. You know, like that's, right. it's not great. Now, it's not great. Now, what do you think of spending $120,000 on getting no grades in college? Like, you oh. know, the Swarthmores and the, you know. Yeah. Where it's like, hey, Bastards you get like a Brontosaurus and, or you get like a this, scorpion. This stuff makes me like very heated because, so I paid my entire way through school because I was an international student, so I couldn't get loans. Mm -hmm. And so... That was really hard for me, but that was literally where I was working like 10 jobs because I just had to do it. I was like, I'm taking a full load. I'm paying out of state tuition. I got to figure it out. Somehow figured it out. I remember the day that I graduated, I had no money. Like I had to walk to graduation because I didn't have enough money where I was like, mm, like when I get wasted, I can take the bus back one way. But I remember just looking around and being like, wow, I am broke, but I don't owe anybody any money. You know, What's and that free? feeling, yeah. that feeling was like, that's the thing that I think that if I had graduated college with a ton of debt, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. And that is a huge privilege, you know, that I wasn't saddled with that. It's also nuts that we let 18 year olds sign their lives away oh for hundreds of thousands of dollars to learn nothing, right. you know? So I'm like, if you're going to be like an engineer or you're going to be a doctor or whatever, I was like, at least you have a skill that is, um, you know, like it's a skill that is prized by a society and you are trained to do something. If you're spending $100,000 to like learn to read about architecture, you know, I'm like, what's the skill here? Like you could have learned that in a different way. What had your parents wanted you to do? Oh, like obviously be a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer or a banker. Those are like the four like good immigrant jobs. And I didn't do any of those, which was also part of the fracture with my family because my dad was like, well, you're not going to an Ivy League school. You're not learning a job. You're going to accomplish nothing with your life. Jokes on him. It all worked out. <laughs> Just well, wait, took some time. How would you describe what you do? I mean... How do I describe what I do? I do a bunch of things. So when I graduated college, I moved to DC and I thought I was gonna work in politics. So I worked at a think tank. Five minutes in, I was like, I am too fun and beautiful for this. Like, <laughs> this is nonsense. I gotta leave this town. Was it in fact on K Street? Um, it wasn't, but it was very close to K Street. It was very close. K Street is the lobbyist. Oh, okay. The think tanks are around. Okay. <laughs> uh, usually around DuPont. Yeah. And so it was, you know, it was this thing. And then they were, but also there were no jobs for a long time. So the first six months that I lived in DC, I actually worked at a toy store because I couldn't do an unpaid internship. Like I got an internship in John Kerry's office and I was so excited. I was like, yo, how much does this pay? And the lady was like, you pay us. <laughs> that is not how congressional internships work. And I couldn't do it. And everybody looked at me like I was nuts. But I was like, I like I don't have any money and I have to pay rent. So I took the job at the toy store. And D.C. is an incredible careerist town where if you don't have some sort of office job, people look down on you in this way that is awful. And I think that those six months that I spent at the toy store, that is the best thing I ever did for myself because... 
I didn't care what other people thought about my hustle. I was like, I have to pay bills. Whatever you have to do to pay your bills is a legitimate way to work. Yeah. You shouldn't make people feel that, you know, there's a path or all of this like classist stuff about the kinds of jobs that you take or whatever, which is a really, you know, that's also like very gross. I was like, we should tell kids early on whatever, like paying your bills and not being in debt is great. There is no glory in being a poor person that works at a fancy job. Right. Well, can I just um, bring it back for a second? You said before that not having debt was such a privilege, Mm -hmm. but you had worked to that effect. I mean, yeah. The reason that I say that it's a privilege is because it is, you know? I mean, like, I grew up extremely poor. I'm not saying that, like, I am a privileged person in general, but I have had privileges in life. And not being saddled with death, like, with death, not being saddled with debt is one of them, Freudian slip. (laughs) Not, you know, like, being... Even like being a black person who is from Africa and lived in Europe, where I noticed that like white Americans treated me differently from the jump, you know? And the the most racist thing that I would hear all the time was, oh, you're not like other black people, which Oof. like white people always think is a compliment. And you're like, Doug, you're about to like whip out your KKK hood out, <laughs> out yeah. now. Like I see you, you know? And that was like stuff like that in Texas. But I also, like, I know that privilege of, like, being a person from the black diaspora. You're able to be a chameleon in American culture. I'm able to be more comfortable around white people because I grew up around them, you know? And so there is just this, there there are things that, there are cultural advantages that I had and then structural advantages that I had that I think were huge contributors to the, you know, to ultimately, like, the success that I've been able to have. So while you were at that toy store, and was it a like a mom and pop toy store, or was it no, a so Toys R Us? It was it was like a mom and pop store, but it was a huge scam. So remember, <laughs> I, maybe you remember this. Remember in two thousand seven, like so we had no money, we ran out of scratch, but also all these Chinese toys were like poisoning children in America. Yes. The lead toys, yeah. And so this woman opened the store in Georgetown, which is like a fancy place, where she just imported all of the like cheap like wooden European toys that I grew up with and was selling them for bazillions of dollars (laughs) and so you know and like very expensive strollers so like dads would come in and just give you an Amex it was the first time I saw the black Amex and they'd be like can you put together four outfits for baby like baby Dahlia and also (laughs) can I get a cup holder for my this thing and I was really good at the upsell (laughs) all the time I was like hey this is great but like you should also get these things and so I you know like it was it was not it was a boring job but i learned about people i and mostly i like learned about hard work like doing work that is boring but that pays for your life um were there any good people who shopped there i mean no any anybody who is spending like 500 bucks on a kid's (laughs) outfit is probably not a good person did you yeah this this is true did you get commission um no did not get commission did you take commission uh (laughs) you know sometimes (laughs) sometimes uh yeah but i was also like not the best retail worker like i didn't know how to wrap gifts and i definitely got hired during christmas still don't know how to wrap gifts so whenever people would come in and like yo can you wrap this i'm like are you sure that paper is really bad for the environment? <laughs> and that was just me being like, dog, I don't know how to do this. I still do not know. Literally this week, I'm getting a task rabbit to wrap all my Christmas presents. Wow. I didn't, I didn't learn that skill. <laughs> I have no interest. So, so six months there. Six months there. Think tank. That was like fine. And then I was unemployed for a long time because my think tank job was supposed to give me a green card to stay and recession shit. 
they ended up not, and I had to apply for asylum to stay in the United States because they were like, well, if you don't have work, we're going to deport you to home. And remember my aforementioned, I don't really have a home. Right. And so... And you're not on speaking terms with your dad at that point? Um. Yeah, it was like dicey. We were not really on speaking terms. And I mean, we are now. But at the time, it was just like we were all trying to figure... Like, we were the family that like when my mom died, everybody went their separate ways because right. she was the glue that held us together. And also, like, you know, typical, like, stuff. He was, like, disappointed about me in college and all these things. And I was also trying to figure myself out. But really, I was like, I don't have a home. Even if, like, even if I had been on speaking terms with my dad, we, like, we're a family that's, like, a product of exile. We all live different places. So what was your process yeah, where you like? Gone? Yeah. yeah, I mean, they would have deported me to Guinea, a place that I have never lived. I was, like, I was literally born here. And ten minutes later, we were out, like, a light. And so it was... So applying for asylum was like very hard. And it's it's funny because I, you know, again, like all these Republican talking points or even people who are not Republicans are like, if you come here right and you do everything great, it's great. You know, it's like, it's the people at the border that we don't like. Let me tell you, as somebody who did every single fucking step right, it took over three years. It was so expensive. It was so painful. Every day. The pr like, the government is so bad. Like, one of the things that happened is somebody, like, they put in all the information. Somebody literally put in my first name as my last name and my last name as my first name. They don't even look alike. For an entire year, I couldn't work because of that. Like, this dumb bureaucratic error. There was stuff like they didn't, uh, I had to go through immigration court system. They never forwarded my file to the immigration judge. The immigration court dockets are huge. So when I show up on the day that I'm supposed to go, six months in, show up and they're like, oh, sorry, your paperwork's not here. And the judge is like, the next time I can see you is in a year from now. Like, this is the kind of stuff that is going on when they're saying, like, are people doing things right? And I really... Like, going through that process really opened my eyes about a lot of things. And it is really infuriating to watch the current immigration discourse that we have. Because all of those people at the border, they're also doing things right. Applying for asylum is a human right. It is not illegal. Uh, having people try to give their kids a better life because literally we fucked up the countries that they're from. That's why they come here. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with people like pursuing legal means of being immigrants. And so I, you know, like I say it all the time. I'm like, I did everything right and it was fucked up. So I can't even imagine what it's like for people who don't have the advantages that I have. Where were you staying while all this is like going on i was living in dc i had like saved a tiny bit from my job i was living off of my savings i was doing some work under the table and like keeping all my receipts because i was still filing taxes i was like i am not supposed to work but i am filing taxes because that's what you're supposed to do and and also mostly like my friends and my friends parents helped me for like two years i did I didn't make an income. I didn't make enough money to live. And I was so lucky to have the generosity of people in my life where, you know, I was like, I never, I never went hungry. I never went homeless, but it was really tight. Were there moments where you felt like the, the guillotine was really coming down? Oh, every single day. And I think I still have PTSD from it, like honestly, because I still don't have my citizenship. Like that's happening, I think next year or a year after or whatever. And it just... It still feel it all feels very precarious. But I remember like in those two years specifically, there were days where I was like, I'm ready to hang up the towel, 
but I didn't know where to go. I was like, I literally don't have a home to go to. This is the only home I have. And I also like didn't take any kind of public assistance because if you do that, then it jeopardizes your future immigration status. Like all, there's so much stuff that is fucked up for immigrants. And you know, it was, it was really hard. I wouldn't say that I'm happy that I went through that. If I had to do it again, I would not do it for sure. But I think that it like taught me a lot about myself and about resilience. So, what did you sort of hope to to do once you were able to work at that point? You know, at that point, I was like, I'll do anything. I just want to be able to like have a social security card that I can show an employer. I would have truly done anything. And, uh, but at the time, you know, I was like, I don't know about this politics thing. I don't really love it. I had like worked uh, in comms, and so I was dabbling in that. So I took a marketing job when I could work. Still in DC. I'm um, still in DC, and we were doing marketing for uh, like a lot of stuff. So it was like for brands, like consumer packaged goods, uh, a lot of movies, like all because like social media was becoming a thing, hmm. and so it was, so it was a growth industry at that point. And so I was doing that. And even in doing that, I was like, this is dumb. Like, I don't like, (laughs) listen, the thing is that like, I like work is just work. And that's what I realized. I was like, oh, the thing that is actually making me annoyed is not that I don't like my work or whatever. I was like, work is always work. If it wasn't work, we would call it play. Like you just have to grind at things. Is that I realized that I wanted to work on things that I had a hand in making. You know, like I was tired of being the least important person on the totem pole or working to like build somebody else's company or like, frankly, just doing dumb things. It's like, you know, like how many Nestle tweets can you write before you want to jump out the building? Right. Seven. And so (laughs) let me tell you, we picked the Gerber baby one year. It was lit. (laughs) You know, so it was like dumb stuff like that. But at the same time, like there's no shame in that. I was like, if you because I consider my I don't consider myself an artist, like I'm not an artist at all, but I, I am a creative person. And so working at a job that I couldn't express my creativity was very frustrating. But at the same time, I'm like, that's what work is sometimes. You know, like you you just gotta like pay for your life. And then you figure out a way where you start having a side hustle. Like, and step by step, you build something alternative for yourself. What did you like about Washington, DC? Um, you know, I liked the how clean blossoms. I liked how clean it was. I love the impeccable downtown city grid. Thank mm-hmm. you, Pierre L'Enfant. Uh, you know, I honestly like I like how international DC feels. DC is a very um it's an incredibly like cosmopolitan city. So if you are if you are an expat, like it like it's a place where you can live very well. And so I like that about it. I I like the culture of DC a lot. I love the music scene. I love the like burgeoning art scene. And so, you know, like all juxtaposed with like all these like awful powerful people who have terrible taste. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> this can coexist here. Um but yeah, but and also but honestly, it was just like a childhood dream. I was like one day I'm going to live in Washington DC and then I got there and I was like check this box. Like, <laughs> give me new challenges. <laughs> How quickly did you take to social media? Oh, I mean, immediately. Yeah. Please. You, <laughs> like, you, I could write a paper in my sleep, and now I'm like, we only got to do 140 characters? <laughs> Dog, sign me up. Like, we but you can saw, do you this. But saw, you saw the value immediately? <laughs> I mean, immediately. You know, the reason I saw the value is because I worked at that policy job. And the thing about policy, it's that I, like, I'm a huge policy nerd. I care about this stuff. I'm like, I care about transportation. I care about healthcare. I care about how the government makes people's lives better. I care about these, like, arcane processes that we have. But I also care that we're able to translate them to civilians every day. You know, so I'm not interested in going to a dinner party where we're all discussing this, like, intricate law or thing and everybody is feeling very smart. I care that the people on the street understand in clear English 
how their lives can be better. And a thing that social media was able to do was demystify a lot of that, like for for policy and for politics. Well, also to confuse everything, though. I mean, confuse people how? Well, because a lot of people are dumb. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and so, like, you know, like when you, when, you, when you see, yeah, but when you see like stuff like you know death panels and stuff, like mm-hmm. people, like so the message can be very clear, but it can also be very muddied easily. I mean, yeah, but that I think that that depends, like, who is crafting the message, right? Like, death panels is actually like genius because it is a shorthand for Republicans to lie to you about what healthcare does, right? And it's mm-hmm. like actually. It's more complicated than that. Sure, there's a panel, but like we're not killing people. And so it, you know, I think that like if you're able to communicate in this like simplified way, you're able for your message to travel more. It's why, uh, you know, it's why like the bad people are also great at social media. And that's how everybody gets confused. Hmm. Yeah. I think that we are pretty good at social media. Us? Um, Yeah. 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 yeah, You guys are pretty good. Your Instagram is particularly great. But if you write come to Brazil one more time (laughs) on my Instagram, I'm going to report you. (laughs) It's my favorite meme though. So thank you. Did you ever seriously consider like trying to go back into the politics space and and do work with a John Kerry or anybody uh, you know at that point like my eyes have kind of been opened a little bit and I was like this is not pay grade and so you know I was like I'm trying to be rich so you know do I want to be John Kerry sure do I want to be the person that works for John Kerry I don't think so mm. so that was also like you know it's like when you live in a town and you kind of start to understand the mechanics of it I was like oh like the the kind of influence and power and creative work that I want to do doesn't actually fit very well in the way that this place is structured. Do you think that that politicians have the power or is it really a lobbyist or a think tank or? Uh, there's a lot of invisible hands behind powerful politicians. Most, I would say that like most politicians are not as powerful as you think that they are. And if anything, it's just that they're like rich people from rich families who know a lot of people or, you know, or some of them are very gifted at like being a good retail politician in the sense that like they're good at shaking hands, kissing babies, making people feel important or whatever. But there's an entire infrastructure that props up politicians, you know, and they're like they're kingmakers Mm -hmm. and they are people who, you know, they're like people right now who are just like evil people who are spending all their money to like fuck up our next election. So Sheldon Adelson. (sighs) Yeah. Uh, The Koch brothers. Listen, Um, who own (laughs) Coca-Cola. Just just kidding. They don't. They don't. But people always people always think that Coca-Cola's like stock just like plummets after this podcast comes out. I know. Listen, all stocks are plummeting right now. Yeah. Yeah. Not great. If you're enjoying Washington, D.C., and you're not necessarily sold on working in Washington, D.C., what is your next move? My next move is I take a job in New York because in my marketing job, I had been spending a lot of time in New York with a client, and I was basically living here already five days a week, which was nice because it was like somebody else was paying for it. Um, and I was like, this is a great lifestyle. But you had to take you. those Amtrak trains. Uh, listen, the Acela is great. I'm my worst human being in the quiet car in the Acela <laughs> because if somebody even breathes loudly, oh. I turn into a cop. I'm like, excuse me, this is the quiet car. <laughs> like, right. I start using my LinkedIn voice. Yeah. I'm like, listen. There okay. are a dozen other cars yeah, you could be I was in. Like, Don't make me call the conductor. But do you do like a man. stage whisper? Oh, yeah. Or are you just it's like 
stage whisper and I just like turn into a raging bitch. <laughs> but I'm also like, dog, it's the quiet car. You don't have to be here if you want to breathe loudly. So, you know, what are like, you looking to do on the quiet car? Sleep or no? Or? Just zone out. Mm-hmm. You know, we're surrounded by so much noise all the time. Mm. Any quiet space that I get, I always want to be in. And so you come up to New York. Do you like New York? I love New York. I like. I'd visited a lot as a kid. I have a lot of friends here. I like the energy here. It reminds me a lot of Paris, a town I spend a lot of time in. And also, like, I have a good community here, and the, my work world is a little bigger. So I take this job at this nonprofit here. Where I run the digital side of their wait, and you want to you, you want to make a fortune, so you go work at a nonprofit. I mean, <laughs> it's you know, just a you, really listen. smart plan. It's just a really good, listen. well thought out. Let me tell you something: nonprofit leadership pays extremely well. Mm. Okay, but were you in leadership? Yeah, I was no. like a director. No. What? I was making like a sick ton of money for like the amount of work that I was doing, so wow. it was fine. All right, you could yeah. finally afford your Murray Hill apartment. I mean, <laughs> I could finally afford my tiny studio. Yeah. Thank you. You know, New York is the only place where you're like, I make a hundred thousand dollars, and then like. Like you're broke at the end of every paycheck and you're not an overspender. It's like, great. Yeah. So I take this job and, you know, and mostly I was like, okay, I'm good at this. I am good at like running digital operations at this point, you know, the and selling strollers. Let's be clear. And selling yeah. strollers, okay. you know, now I have two skills, <laughs> you know, so it's like, it's good stuff. And when I was working at the think tank, like Google called to like poach me, they were like, oh, you're doing this thing very well. Will you come do it for us in San Francisco? And I was like, I don't think so. San Francisco is awful. <laughs> and uh, they offered me the job like three or four different times. And every time the number kept getting higher. And I was like, you know what? At some point, like, you can't say no. Yeah, how far you know? along can you push that? Right. Where I was like, I don't make this kind of money. But I, I truly didn't really want to live in the Bay. But, you know, and at the same time, I was like, well, you know, like this. I didn't look for this job. They're calling me. The money is dumb. The stock is like free money. They're literally building the future over there. I should go check it out. And so I did. Well, so you took you took a meeting. I mean, I took many meetings. Okay. <laughs> I took many, I turned the job down like multiple times because I didn't think I wanted to do it. And what was the thing that really, really sold you? Was it like... It was the money. Straight up Shark Town. It, no one like... <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't No care. one sat down and said like, you know what? You're not thinking of it. No. Somebody... In this yeah. way. I, like, I was not impressed at the idea of going to work at a big tech company because I'm just not impressed at employment in general. And why couldn't you work <laughs> out of Google New York? Exactly. That's what I kept saying. <laughs> you know, I was like, well, I, if the job had been here, I would probably have been less reluctant. But they're, um, but you know, um, this is another thing at big tech companies. The further away you are from headquarters, the le- less important you are. So mm-hmm. like everybody makes you think that they have a big job. I'm like, mm, you're literally in a far province. Nobody cares. <laughs> All of the action happens in Mountain View. And so you take that job under what title? Um, I take the job to be, what was I? I was like a PM for a team. But here's a funny thing that happened. I take the job. I move my whole life. I show up at orientation. I'm like the oldest person there and I'm 31. You know, everybody's literally 22 and they're all complaining about their bonuses. Like, I will never forget being on a like this little shuttle bus and all these like kids in backpacks and two of them are complaining to each other and one of them goes, you know, I'm like, I can't believe my bonus is only $90,000, like my sign-on bonus. And I, and I turned around and I looked at them and I was like, is this your first job? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, wow. I had to work like five jobs to get like anywhere close to like a year salary of $90,000. And now that's your bonus and you're fucking complaining about it. Oh my it. God. You should have quiet card them. I yeah. Know, legendary shit. But so I get there and like on day two of orientation, they literally dissolve the team that I had come to work for, which it turns out happens a lot at tech companies. They were like, oh, we reorged. I was like, <laughs> 
I'm like, I reorged my whole life yeah, to come yeah. here. Like, yeah. What is happening? Got rid of my iPhone. Yeah. What is happening? <laughs> and so they're like, well, they're like, we still want to keep you. Like, can you do this other job? And so it was to run the political marketing team. And it was fine. It was <laughs> totally fine. I like got you to finally travel made it to K Street. Yeah, you know, I made it exactly. My first assignment was to go back to DC to do the midterm. You're I was like, like are you fuckers. kidding me? <laughs> but you know, it's like we got to travel a lot. Like working at Google is great. You never have to like buy your own food. Right. Everybody thinks that you're like even like uh, it's funny. We have this joke like in or we had this joke internally at the time that until whenever, they reorged everything. Whenever you read in a newspaper, a Google executive. It can be anybody from an intern to the vice president of something because everybody is an executive. So it's like it's that kind of thing where you're like, okay, you work at a company where when you email someone, everybody will answer you or whatever. But at the end of the day, I was still just a paper pusher, you know, open floor plan. Oh, yeah. Open floor plan. Did you sit on a ball? Um, I did not sit on a ball. I had a standing desk. Oh, Thank you oh, very wow. much. Still obnoxious. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very obnoxious. One of those ones that like raises up and oh, down. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait. Um, it wasn't on a treadmill or whatever. No, I didn't do the treadmill, but That's, every once in yeah. a while I would use the treadmill. Really? Yeah, it was good. Did, while you typed? Yeah, while oh, I typed. All right. It's You're walking at like the smallest speed, but mostly <laughs> I was like, I was bored. Yeah. I'm like, we had seven nap rooms on this floor. Like, what else can I do? Did you fall in love with like the trolley or the, you know, uh, no, the, the shuttle? The, or, yeah. No, no, or the wharf or like anything that was. No. In between like uh so I had like done this internship in Sudan, um, doing like fistula stuff in the middle of a war. That was still a more pleasant experience than <laughs> living in San Francisco. Um, I was like, San Francisco's the worst place I've ever lived. Just challenging <laughs> my Sudan stint. <laughs> hey gang. It's me. It's Jeff from oh. the podcast. Oh, I know you. Just wanted to let you know that on itstherealcom shop right now, you can get a rhyme book, our lined notebook, which has been signed by both us and the locks. What? We only have three of them. Yeah. And you can get them right now. Okay, so three left. Yeah. They're signed by you, mm-hmm. by me, mm-hmm. by Chic, yep. by Styles, yep. and Jadakiss, who put a special Christmas message in there. For you. Ho, ho, hold up. <laughs> that is a fact. These are amazing. They're all different. They're all signed with different inscriptions from us and all three members of the locks. And now is the time to get it. It's thereal.com slash shop. And oh, if you want to get a t-shirt, you want to get a sweatshirt, that's the place to go to. Yeah. But really, we have three signed rhyme books available right now, and they're going to go quick. Make sure that you have one. Of the three, it's the real.com slash shop. Does I, anybody have good taste at Google? No. I mean, <laughs> some some people do. Listen, it's not a Google thing as much as it is. No, it's a cultural um, thing. I actually like Google as a company, like a tech company, I would recommend for people to work for a lot because there is a lot to learn. The people are awesome. They care about things. I think that the thing that really graded at me is that in larger tech culture, people don't realize a lot of things. One they're literally changing the entire makeup of cities. Like San Francisco has no culture. It has no middle class. It has no people of color. It is just, it, you know, like it's a very weird place. It's, I grew up around white people and I was paranoid in San Francisco because of how white it was. You know what I mean? Am I correct in that San Francisco is it's either you're very wealthy and there's a huge homeless population as yes. well? Yeah. It's that kind of thing. But it's also like NSF. Like I was legit making upwards of 200K at my job, like on like the like the day-to-day stuff, not even the stock and the benefits or whatever. 
I couldn't save because of how expensive it was to live there. Wow. Because I didn't want to have roommates. I was the only person on my team that didn't have roommates. Like all these executives and they're all sharing McMansions together and they're like, wow, you can afford to live alone? And I'm like, guys, <laughs> we are making too much money here. Like I was making more money than my parents probably made in their entire lifetime. That's crazy. You know, and then, and I'm living in this like cramped one bedroom apartment and I can't save money. But also there is zero, there is zero culture. Like everybody's wearing the same. Patagucci is like killing the same bars is, you know, I'm like, right. you, I'm like, you guys are the new rich people. You're our Medici's now. You gotta make culture that like, this is what Kanye is ranting about. Give him money to do things. <laughs> How could you take it? I mean, I didn't take it very well, but the thing that was good for me is that I traveled a lot for work. So anytime there were, and there were like a lot of pregnant people on my team. So anytime there was like a trip, I was like, I'll go, I'll go. <laughs> so to be fair, on a on a like city level, I also didn't give it a chance because I was gone all the time. But I just, you know, it was the kind of thing where my dad was finally proud of me, the, the job that I was doing. I'd been like a Forbes 30 under 30. People were like, oh, like you work at this successful place or whatever. And I was the unhappiest I had ever been. I was like, this is not, you know, like we're all paper pushers here. They literally, it's like, imagine hiring all type A people, high achievers, and there's not enough work to go around. Like, are you kidding me? We're all screaming internally. And how'd you get out? Um, well, I quit. I just like one day I was sitting on the shuttle cause they also like bus us to work, you know, and the 101 is, a, is just a, like a parking lot. And I was sitting on the shuttle and we had been there for an hour and a half. And I was just, I had been complaining about all this stuff. And I remember getting off the shuttle and being like, I actually don't need to do this. <laughs> like there's, there's no reason. I know how to take care of myself. I don't care. Like my stock has vested, take the money and run. It was free money, you know, as far as well, I was how long concerned. were you there for? Like barely a year. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, I'm so unhappy. Did, did you, anybody, how did you quit? Um, I quit on Kara Swisher's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> having a shitty day and I was like I don't want to be here and then I was like well I guess I quit on this podcast so I should actually tell my bosses about it um yeah so I just like yeah I just up and quit but also you know the other thing that was going on in the background is that I was very sick and I knew that I was just like sick all of the time and so being sick and being at a job that I didn't like I was like at least I can focus on whatever the fuck is going on with me right now and it turned out that that thing was cancer, but I wouldn't know for a long time. What did you think it was initially? I like I didn't know, but I knew that whatever my doctors were telling me was nonsense. You know, I was like, I don't I'm not a complainer. And so when I get to the point where I complain about not feeling well, it means that the pain is a 15 now. You know, I was like, we are we are we have crossed over into. Well, not this knowing is not sustainable. has to be. Yeah extremely frightening totally and i kept going to all these doctors and i would get these like diagnoses or nothing or they kept saying it's nothing it's nothing it's nothing like you're fine you just you probably have endometriosis or you just have a heavy period like it's nothing and i was like no it's like i think something is very wrong and and so i was like i can't i can't work and also like project manage this illness at the same time does not knowing make and and doctors not knowing does that make you feel crazy i mean it a thousand percent makes you feel nuts because i still remember the day that my doctor told me that i had cancer was the biggest relief of my life i was like oh yeah i was like i can deal with that like that's i'm like i watch gray's anatomy we can handle that mm -hmm. but like the not knowing i'm like that's dr house territory <laughs> i don't like this right and what stage do they find it in um stage two Oh, so, so it'd fairly been like, early, yeah, but, I mean, like, but I mean, obviously not early enough. Not early enough. I would say yeah. that's middle of the road. It's yeah. not great. 
But also, like, they didn't find it. Like, I had to fight for it at every step of the way. And I had to, I asked for the MRI that found it. Like, I was fully, like, turned into, like, a basket case where I kept being like, I need you to run this test. I need you to do this. I need you to do that. I'm like, I'm like, I'm reading all this shit about how doctors are killing black women. And I'm like, I'm not about to be a statistic. So I need you to find it. And then when they found it, I remember they were all like very apologetic and they were like, we can handle it. But I remember just like feeling like relieved yeah, because it finally, like it had a name. Like I had endometrial cancer, but I was like, it has a name. There's a course of treatment. I'm not alone. And also I felt less crazy. I was like for three years, I've been going through this stuff and everybody's treating me like I'm exaggerating. And it turned out it was something. So you moved from San Francisco. Back to New York. Back to New York. Literally in my old apartment. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Literally in the same apartment. And I was so happy. Like, I moved back. I didn't have a job. I, uh, but, you know, when I quit my job, they were like, oh, God, like, who's going to do this now? I was like, "Mm," I'm like, I'll consult here. You just have to pay me more money than you were paying me before. And so, you know, like, technically, I moved with a consulting gig. And then I started doing some, like, tech consultancy on the side which is how I paid the bills. And also like while I took time to figure out like what was going on in the body. And when I moved back to New York, I was like, you know, I was like, I think what I want to do is like start making more media like that. I was like, this seems like a place where I could be happy, but I want to do it on my own terms. And so that's what I started doing. And in, in the, like the other thing that was happening in the background is that in the four year, like in the, Before I moved to San Francisco, we had started uh, this podcast that I do with my friends Ann Friedman and Gina Delvac. And that was a labor of love, but it was also like paying us, you know? And so I was like, oh, I actually have this entire income stream that I could devote myself to. And, you know, but part of it is that part of why the podcast was fun is that it was an escape and it didn't feel like work. Mm -hmm. You know, it just felt like, oh, we're so lucky that like advertisers will pay us hundreds of thousands of dollars to do what we want to do. But it was also because nobody was tending to it full time, I think is what was part of the success there. Mm. Because once you make something that you love work, that now it's work. Living in New York, were you finding the same friends that you had in New York? Yeah. You know, that's the thing. I remember when I told everybody I was leaving for San Francisco, man, New Yorkers are such haters. (laughs) Everybody was like, no. (laughs) And I'm the complete opposite. When my friends tell me that they're moving, you could tell me that you're like going to Mars. I'm so happy because one, I'm like, ooh, a new place I can visit. Yep. But also, I think that that muscle of not being afraid to leave is so important. Mm-hmm. It's so important and the older you get and the more you stay somewhere, the harder it becomes. And so I remember when I was like, I'm leaving, they're all like, terrible idea, don't do it. You know, which really they're just thinking about themselves right. and not about me. But I remember I told everyone, I'm like, I'll be back here. I was like, I'm literally just going to see what those bozos are doing on the <laughs> West Coast, but I will be back. And I was back. And in the time that I left and came back, like friends had moved to places. They had come back. You know, I was like people, people leave and come all the time. Mm -hmm. And so when I moved back, like some friends had left, some friends had moved from other parts of the world. The core team, like a lot of the core team was still here. But I was like, this is the whole point. Like, it's fine. Everything is fine. But was it people looking out for your best interest being that one San Francisco for sure. I mean, listen, <laughs> I do think like my close friends definitely looking out for my best interest. People who were not friends are just like nosy, mm-hmm. you know, but I also think that like, listen, you can look out for people's best interest and still not be like alarmist about, you know, it's like, what's so bad about taking a job that pays you too much money for a couple of years? Well, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be a conspiracy theorist, but tell me San Francisco made you sick. 
Um, You know, I thought that too, because the minute I got there, I was so sick. So probably. Yeah. (laughs) Probably. Yeah. It's back, but New York healed me, so it's good. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. It's good. It's, it's good. almost like um like a Nancy Myers movie. <laughs> <laughs> Except you come back to Garbage Town, New York. <laughs> so you so you set up shop here as a consultant. Mm-hmm. Did you want to find a, a regular nine to five? No, I was like, the minute that you become a freelancer, the idea <laughs> of putting pants on to like go work at some other man's job is. So it's incredibly hard to motivate. <laughs> did you for. work out of your apartment? I worked out of my apartment a lot. Um, and at first I was like, I'm going to get a co-working space. I'm going to set up an office. And then you start working without your pants on. And you're like, I don't need to be in regular society right. ever again. <laughs> so it's what fine. did you do to remain human and like so get out? The secret to being a freelancer that doesn't go crazy <laughs> is that you have to take a shower every day. You have to take a shower, you have to brush your teeth, you have to wash your face, and you have to put on work clothes. They just have to be different from your pajamas. Quick question. Right. Tell me. What was the longest you went without doing any of those things? Yeah. I have depression. Let me tell you. <laughs> I, like, I don't want to name a number because people will kick me out of society. You're like 365 I, days in San Francisco. <laughs> days. Without, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's like, and that was the other thing. I was like, oh, I'm actually very depressed. And when you work alone, like that exacerbates your depression. And so I literally have a post-it on my mirror that says that. It's like, take a shower, brush your teeth, take your medicine. And it's just like steps every day. Oh, that's like memento too. Yeah. You're just like, yeah. oh, right. Yeah. Oh, right. Shower. I'm like, yeah. Because, you know, because like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you have like any kind of mental illness, but I think that like the thing, a thing about depression that is really intense is that you, it's, I mean, like having a cold is this way in some tiny scale where you just don't remember what it was like when your nose wasn't running. Yeah. You know, or when you're depressed, you're like, mm-hmm. I don't remember what it was like when I could just leave the house and I wasn't so fucking depressed. Yeah. It's like the Zoloft uh, cloud. You know, who's like, you know, <laughs> bouncing like with the sad face, right? Shout out to Zoloft. Yeah. Save my life. Or like the Claritin where it's like you have <laughs> oh, the, the, the mucus. Claritin yeah. clear the mucus. The, no, 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 that's, that's, no, uh, that's, that's mucinex. mucinex. Oh, sorry, 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 yeah. guys. Sorry. Apologies. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> the mucinex guy is aggressive. Yeah. Can the mucinex guy get it? Yes or no? <laughs> No. Okay. Also, no. also, do you think not, not tall enough? <laughs> do you think that the Mucinex? Do you think that the creator of the Mucinex character is like really like hanging their shingle on that? They're just like, yeah, yeah, probably a billionaire. But isn't it yeah. just like a honeymooners like yeah, just ripoff? Is. I mean, kind of, kind of. It's also, like Alice. Do you know anybody who takes Mucinex for real? Uh, no. no. Or well, nobody's brave enough to see, admit it. I only see Mucinex commercials. I have never seen a Mucinex in the wild. But I don't know anybody who uses a <laughs> neti pot either. But like, oh, I'm I sure people, I know. I know I people netty. who use neti pots. Okay, I so netty. I netty this morning. I know one. If you if you neti you pot, try sorry. It. If you neti, leave a comment. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> we'll follow you back. Neti is like so scary because I'm also so a germaphobe, scary. and every time I'm like, I'm putting worms in my brain. So I always have to buy <laughs> distilled water. Oh, so I'm like boiling things. You mean water. microscopic worms? I mean. Listen, or this, actual is worms. Ger- this is New York. This like, is New York. Who knows? But don't you sort of accept it at a certain point? No, I don't. I'm OCD germaphobe, so oh, I don't accept it. You do not touch the, the poles on the subway? What? Never. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sir. <laughs> That's literally how you die. Do you have Purell on you right now? Um, I don't have Purell, but I have a better alternative, but yes. What, no. what is the better alternative? Oh, it's yeah, just fire. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I Wait, burn so, everything yeah. fire. No, you know, I like, listen, every, but I will say this, working from home, I started getting sick less because I was taking the subway less. Oh, right. 
less opportunities to deal with other the you know, minute that you are in less humans. contact with other yeah. New Yorkers, your New York life becomes beautiful. So wait, <laughs> real quick, at Google where there's like food, it's like in the yeah, in communal. The, yeah, it's in the rule books where it has to be like every, every ten feet, feet or something. Or yeah, 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 yeah. Um, did you not like eat anything that didn't have a sneeze guard over it? Or yeah, I mean, listen, the food was like set up very nice. It was like very like the whole thing. Also, like so more than any other startup that I've or tech company that I've been to, the food at Google is like very healthy. Yeah. It's they um to find junk food, they make you work. Like it's always like on the <laughs> lowest shelf. It's a tiny thing. One time I like almost tore the place apart looking for a Kit Kat because I was having a moment. <laughs> and I was like, I saw a Kit Kat here. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and you had to do like a combination on the wall to like they like make you Are work. you a mouse in like the sort of like, you know Oh yeah, no, to find junk food you're a mouse, but if you want an apple, they're everywhere. <laughs> you know? So it's like that kind of thing. So you're here and you're freelancing and you're working at home. Mm-hmm. When do, do things shift for you um, in terms of becoming more of a personality and known for your um, yourself? Is that what I'm known for? I think so. No, I think oh, you're God. known for like your Instagram stories. <laughs> I think, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Follow the account. <laughs> Come to Brazil. Come to Brazil. Thank you. You know, I. That's funny. I um. I, I think you, you were well. Yeah, you were a, a trusted person. I think that because um, Eric and I were trying to explain uh, who you are to our friends when they when we were saying like oh yeah we have Amina coming on our podcast and yeah. Eric said um, that you were personality I said that you were like an intellectual. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. First of all, I don't think I'm an intellectual. Maybe I am a personality. The thing that's weird about this say you're new... an intellectual personality. <sighs> you know, I'll take it. The are thing you... that's weird about this new work world is that there's not titles for things. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm very, you know, I'm like, I'm Hip-hop like a sketch comedian. Well, I'm I was, like... was going to say, that's what we are still 11 years later, but we're not doing sketches I'm like, every I'm week. like an African nanny. I have 10 jobs. Like, I just need Could to, like, Could you go by African, na- African, African nanny? nanny. <laughs> that's going to be my DJ name. <laughs> yeah. But it's, so it's the kind of thing where it used to give me a lot of heartburn when people were like what do you do who are you and so when I was consulting I'm like okay great consultant sounds like a scam but at least it's a thing and now when people are like what do you do I'm like I don't know I write I podcast I host events I I was like I'm a human being in the world I don't need a title you're like I'm right I'm from Houston and I sell toys exactly I'm from in and around Houston (laughs) shout out Bun B and I sell toys that's what's going on but but what is the turning point for you in where you are going to be on stages talking to, I don't know, very celebrated people. You know what's really funny is that I um, I still haven't like fully absorbed that that's what I do. And so when I think about a turning point, I don't know that there was this like pivotal moment. I think that very small choices and decisions and, and sometimes like very strategic choices are why I'm here. But there's not a day where I woke up and it was like, oh, this is the thing now. I How think, can I hang out with Ross Douthat? <laughs> <laughs> First of all, it's a Douthat. Um, and also, fuck that guy. <laughs> so, um, listen, very nice in person. Is um, he the one oh, you wrote about? Out with him. Oh, yeah. I mean, I lived did in he, D.C. D.C. is a very small town. Like, did he say he, bring wasps back? He said, like, bring wasps back. But, you know, his entire body of work is just, like, I am a very Catholic, conservative, but people think that I'm nice and charming at dinner parties. So it's not dangerous, the things that I say. And I'm just like, say with your whole chest, you just want (laughs) women to be carriers of babies. 
Um, you should really, if you want to have a really good Ross Douthat date, this is how you know I'm like a DC nerd. It's yeah. just Google him plus Reese Witherspoon, and like you will have a day of your life. Wow. Did they date? No, they didn't date. But he wrote about a dating experience at Harvard, and uh, and it's like golden. Whoa. The description that he uses. I won't even spoil it. Just Google <laughs> Ross Douthat plus uh, chunky Reese Witherspoon. That's those are the search terms. In, qu- in quotations. In, in so you quotations. Make sure you get it, yeah. Those are the search terms. When did you find out what your cancer was? I found out December 2nd, 2017. And uh, so it's been a year, which is wild. And what a year. Yeah. Like, I can't believe that it's been a year. I was like, oh, I went through that this year. And we met this year. Did we? We no, met last I feel, year. No, we met last. We met before. You met me before I had cancer. Yeah. We, we met a kinfolk. Right. Yes. Right, 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 right. When we were DJing. Right, yes. right, right, right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that yes. was before you had cancer. At John's yeah. birthday. Yeah. yeah. And so. One of his iconic birthday parties. But then we hung out at Rem's birthday party, yes. which was this we year. We only hang out at birthday parties. Yes. That's the theme here. Is it someone's birthday today? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, so Sagittarius. No, but you <laughs> But you you go into the doctor and is this at one of the Um it's at Mount Sinai. So okay. what happened was that I before we went away for Thanksgiving, all year I'd basically been working with my doctor to be like, let's eliminate like all these things, whatever. And then that doctor like picked up and left and she was like, Ugh, like I'm leaving, but like here's the my, the number two and I was like, please at my practice. And so it's like you start over with the number two, we're running all these tasks. And then, um, and I had had like one small exploratory surgery before and the cert, like, and it didn't really, it was like the tests were like kind of murky. And so they were like, you're fine. And I was like, I still don't feel fine. Like besides this, like what else can we do? And they were like, it's an MRI. And I was like, I want an MRI. Like, let's just do that. And so when I went away for Thanksgiving, I knew that I was going to have this MRI. And I had done so much reading where I was like, I know I have a tumor, but I, I hadn't like quite grokked that tumor equals cancer, but I was I was so focused on it. I was like, I know that I have a tumor. Real reading, just, not like internet searching. I mean, internet reading, oh. <laughs> but you know, like doctor internet reading. Cause here's the thing, the only difference between you and a doctor is that fool went to medical school. <laughs> like you can buy those books, <laughs> like please. And so that's, you know, like we always trust like professionals all the time, but I was like, it's your body, it's your property. You should probably know how it works. And so I, yeah, it, I like literally set up a board in my house, like a conspiracy theorist, where I was like connecting dots and stuff and just like everything was crazy. And I was like, this can only be one of two things, but either way, it's very bad. And so went to Marfa for Thanksgiving and I had this like incredible trip and I love Marfa. I like go all the time. Marfa, and Texas. Marfa, Texas. And I thought truly, Is that where the Versace store is? Um, first of all, <laughs> it's it Prada. Is, oh, sorry. It's a the Prada, Prada store. <laughs> and second of all, but you knew what I was talking it's about. It's actually in Valentine, Texas, oh. which is 10 minutes away. <laughs> and uh, it's an art installation. Oh, yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's great. Everybody okay. should go see it. But I like I remember the entire time on the trip being like, I'm going to come home and I'm going to find out good like some terrible news and I'm going to die. Like that's I fully thought that's what was going to happen. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. But I wasn't scared. I was like, oh. You were just resigned to... I was just like, you know, like, I, I'm such a control freak in my life. I, like, basically raised myself. I've gone through all these awful things. And it was the first time that this, like, very bad thing was happening. And I was like, there is nothing I can do to control this. And for the first time in my life, I submitted to that. I was like, I just... 
I was like, let's go. And also I was like, you know what? It could be cancer, but also you could, this plane can crash. You could get hit by a bus. You could like, you know, yeah. like every day is a fucking gift anyway. So let's go. And, and hashtag Monday motivation. You know, like hashtag, no, for real. I like turned into like, I was doing the secret on myself. It yeah, was nuts, right. but I didn't know what I was doing. Cause I was so calm and I was like, why am I calm? Like, this is not my demeanor. I'm an anxious person. Let me check my astrology. Let me check my astrology, you know, mercury and lemonade. Yeah. Everything is great, you know, as opposed to mercury and reggaeton where everything is bad. So... I like go to the doctor and she is like, I can see it on her face, you know? And she's like, I have, cause she called me and she's like, you have to come in. And when they don't right. tell you on the phone is right. They're know, not like, just trying to hang out. Yeah. Right. I was like, you know, they can't tell you on the phone that you're about to die. So I was like, great. She's going to tell me in her cold office that I'm going to die. And so I go in and I see it on her face and she goes, we didn't get good news. And I was like, it's cancer. Right. And she said, how did you know? And I'm like, bitch. Cause I went to Grey's Anatomy school. <laughs> and so, <laughs> But listen, I, it was such a relief. I was like, thank God, like we know what it is. And so, you know, and then immediately when that happens, it's you, your real, your doctor just like turns you over to an oncologist. So you start that process immediately. And, you know, but I'm also like a nutcase. And so I pull out my phone and I'm like, let me look at my calendar. So this week is not good for me. <laughs> Next week is not good for me. But like January 3rd, I can do a surgery. Is that good for you? And she looks at me and she's like, you're crazy. First of all, she's like, your whole life has to stop. Like right now, this is what we're doing. And I was like, no, you don't understand. I'm a busy person. Like this is going to have to fit I have in to shower. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I have shit to do. Like I had, I had client work to turn in. I had... I had like interviews, like big interviews that I was doing. There was like all this stuff was happening. And I was like, listen, it's got to fit in the GCAL. If it doesn't fit in the GCAL, we don't have time for it. Right. And and I just like went through all those motions. And then, you know, and then it's fine. It's like s surgery was like scheduled for a month later. I was able to like close out all the work I wanted to do. Had surgery, woke up, everything is fine. You know, like. The treatments that they gave to you. They like do, so if you have endometrial cancer, you get a hysterectomy, they take out your ovaries also. So you go into medical menopause immediately. Everything is like crazy. And then they like microwave you with a little bit of radiation. And Which I is localized. Yeah, I didn't have chemo. And uh, yeah, and it was like truly, you know, like I'm like, I'm a younger person, relatively healthy. I go to a lot of cancer support groups, three of them, because I'm addicted. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> every time I go, there was like, Amina, you look great. And I'm like, I know, I'm young and beautiful. You <laughs> like, this is a cancer of women in their 70s and 80s. You know, like I, so it's this thing where I, it's always funny to hear them talk about it. And I was like, no, I'm like, I'm just a young person who caught this early. Because usually it's like women in post-menopause who like, that's how they catch it. And that's why they, so many of them die. And so I was like, yeah, I'm like, I like I can bounce back faster, but also, you know, cancer is weird. It's probably going to come back. Like, who knows? So I'm technically in remission, but that doesn't mean anything. It just means that for the next five years, we're monitoring it. And if it, it doesn't come back in five years, they tell you that you have no evidence of disease. But it'll probably come back in some way, shape or form. Did also, when you get cancer, you realize that everybody has cancer. People just don't talk about it. Did any part of you wrestle with the like the idea of like that statistically you're not you know one of the like you're not one of the ones who would get this cancer and not this early so like why me why now that sort uh, of thing you know no because like my life has been hard and cancer is not even the like top five hardest things that I've had to deal with San Francisco so, you know San Francisco <laughs> you know Trump um, no you know like real shit in life 
And so the thing that was really apparent to me when I was reading about this kind of cancer is I was like, how come white women get it more, but black women die more from it? Mm. Like that was the statistic that I was so focused on. Yeah. And, and you know, it's like the medical community has its own biases and like shit is fucked up. But in terms of like, I didn't feel any sense of respect. I was like, I didn't do anything wrong. You know, like it's not because I'm fat or because I'm black or because I like smoked too many cigarettes when I was a kid or, you know, that like my genetic line is fucked up. I mean, I, I guess you can think that like a lot of people do, but that's not a productive way of thinking. And it also just, you know, it also ties back into this idea where, you know, like we think that it's only Republicans who feel that you need to take care of yourself in a certain way. It's like, you've got to pick up yourself by your bootstraps. you got to do all these things. But the truth is that like Americans generally feel some sort of like appeal to the prosperity gospel of like, if you're a good person and you think good things and you put good things in your body or whatever, you will be a whole person all the time. And I'm like, no, that's not how medicine works. And also, even if you did cause something to make you feel unhealthy, you were still deserving of the best healthcare in the world. You know, like that's the kind of world that I wanna live in where like people who are assholes still get to live every day <laughs> because other, you know, like I'm like, that's the social contract that I wanna engage that's in. That's the American dream. Yeah, you know, it's like assholes get healthcare. So <laughs> that's me, but you know, it's like freelance life. I, th- that year I almost didn't sign up for healthcare because I was like, I looked at the penalty and I was like, please, I can pay this. This is nothing. I'm a healthy person. I don't need this thing. And I don't even remember why on a whim on the last day that you could do it, I signed up for it. And every month I would watch it come out of my bank account. and I'd be so angry. Cause I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I don't need this. Like I just take Advil and drink water, you know, and everything is fine. And it turned out that that's the actual real thing that saved my life. Yeah. Is that I had healthcare that year. Since you were determined to be in remission, how has your outlook changed? I, you know, I'm a notorious like post processor. It takes me years to parse out my feelings about something. So probably in 2020, I'll start crying about 2017. But all I know is I don't think that it is anything that I did. I think that I I just, like, I am a resilient person, which, like, Aries. You know, I'm Aries. <laughs> but also, like, African people, like, real talk, I'm, like, I come from a part of the world where, like, if you live till you're five, you'll probably live till you're 50, and then, then all bets are off. And I've been, like, surrounded by so much poverty and so much adversity and just, you know, and I'm just like, you just have to put one foot in front of another all the time. And so, like, all of those instincts are what kicked in, where every, yeah, it's like, I am shocked that earlier this year I had, like, this ginormous surgery. I was like, I've lived 10 lives since then. But also, you know, there is also the thing where I'm like, this is life, like, you got to balance all these things. You have to balance your friendships and your love life and your work life and your crises, like all at the same time. And it's fine. It's not great, but it's fine. So who inspires you? Um, Besides us. <laughs> um, and Snoop Dogg. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was that speech that he made where he's like, I just want to thank myself. Yeah, Hollywood <laughs> Walk of Fame. Yeah, you know, so like, good. I was like, that was really good. Who inspires me? You know, I am really inspired by my friends. I will say, um, I when I got sick, everybody in my life stepped up like the people who are the closest to me and that it didn't shock me i was like duh like this is why you're on the team 
But it was really just, I was like, this is why you are in my life. And so, you know, like, do I have like sheroes and heroes? I don't know. I don't believe in like having celebrities or people that you don't know inspire you. Cause I'm like, everybody has shit in their closet. And also I don't believe in celebrity worship. Um, but so, yeah, I would say like, I'm very inspired by my friends. I, uh, I like, um, also like, I'm really interested in like building connections with older women. I'm in this phase in life where I was like, you know, nothing, first of all, like nothing is new. Young people are literal idiots. Like we're (laughs) idiots. It's like you wake up every day and you're like, I'm going to do this. Why? What if I start this or that? And I'm like, why is my bonus only $90,000? Why is my bonus only $90,000? And I'm like, dog, we ran out of ideas in like 1832. Like people, like nothing is new under the sun. Right. And so I'm, it's, I'm so struck by the fact that like we erase like older people so much in our lives and especially older women and you know and when i think about like this shitty political moment that we're in i've been talking to a lot of women who like were like my age during the reagan years you know and i was like what the fuck did you guys do because that seemed like the world was going to end and so i don't know and like talking more to older women in my family also and learning more about them and so it's that who else do i admire i do admire snoop dogg genuinely Mm because he like went from being a thug to like an elder statesman Mm -hmm. i'm like that's beautiful yeah if you live long enough you can truly have the life that you want which is why you should live long enough um like gucci brings me so much like happiness these days not because i think that he's a perfect person but again like somebody who just like went through some serious shit and i was like now you live long enough that I get to watch you on Instagram discover a lagoon for the first time <laughs> in your life. And like, I cried. I was so happy. He genuinely believes what he tweets. I know, but I, I yeah. genuinely, I'm like charmed by it. It's you know? fantastic. Like, I, I don't like to be complicit in, you know, the like general things that like rappers do because that is not a way to win uh, <laughs> in general, you know? So this is not like a personal endorsement. It is just this like, just this idea that like if you hang in there long enough and you turn around like you can literally have everything that you want and so that's just been like really amazing to see that's really beautiful so you sat on some pretty impressive stages have i it seems like it booked and busy y'all which stages do you speak of <laughs> well i was eric was gonna say like you know with hillary clinton i was, I was gonna, gonna say that, say that or i was gonna lead you for you to with say those that. ninety thousand dollar bonus kits but whatever Dog. yeah um hillary clinton she needs to adopt me where are the adoption papers i'm ready <laughs> i'm saying it on this podcast <laughs> you find you've decided and yeah. you're you're ready what was that like You know, so one of my goals, my professional goals, I think it was two years ago, was my New Year's resolution. I was like, I want to become a better interviewer because we've been doing our show for so long. Anne and I have good rapport. Anne is a journalist. I'm not a journalist. I'm usually like, as you can tell from listening to this, I'm a rambler and all sorts of whatever. And I was like, I want to learn how to ask better questions. And I want to do this well. And so again, the secret, I started doing it and then people started coming to me to do it and so I think that it's you know it's it's interesting it's like a combination of like definitely like I sound non-threatening I'm like I'm not doing an investigative like expose on somebody it's not some sort of gotcha I generally interview people who I enjoy um I've interviewed people who I don't like agree with and still had like a great time um like Gretchen Carlson um and 
you know, so I think that like it's this combination of like it's the non-threateningness. It's kind of like talking to your drunk uncle <laughs> and it also, you know, but it's also the thing where I was like, I'm not doing anything new. I just think that there are a lot of young women or women in general who are like me, who care about the same things that I care about. Like, I don't think that I'm inventing anything new. It's just that we usually don't get opportunities to ask these questions of powerful people. And, you know, and then there's this whole thing about how, you know, women who sound like me, even though I learned English when I was 16, I'm acutely aware that I sound like a valley girl. We paid a lot of money for me to sound like this. Um, I watch a lot of Friends and Daria when I was learning English. But anyway, you know, there is this thing of like women who sound like me or talk like me or say like all the time, that the things that we care about are very frivolous. And I'm like, actually, no, this is a dog whistle. We are talking to each other. We understand each other. We see each other. You know what I mean? And so I am just happy that I, in this like weird world, it's like who... Like, I can remember being, like, five years old in West Africa and being like, what am I going to do with my life? And then all of this weird shit is happening. Every day truly is a gift. But but Hillary. <laughs> yeah, but Hillary. Hillary is amazing. She is, like, legit one of my political heroes. That's actually, like, political heroes. That's true. I remember watching the Beijing Women's Conference with my mom when I was 10, and it fully, like, transformed me as a human being. And... You know, and and Hillary is also like complicated. Like people think that it's always like all or nothing. Like you like somebody and that means you endorse everything that they do or whatever. The thing that I have always appreciated about Senator Clinton's work is that she has really always put like women first in a way, um, in a way that like it just wasn't done early on. You know, like she was an early champion for women and for children. We have like watched her in public life. Like she she occupies this role that no other woman has had in public life, which is also why, like, you know, when a lot of the criticisms come, I'm like, yeah, like, some of that shit is real. Like, some of the stuff that the Clintons do are very bad. Like, I am not going to defend them. But when it comes to Hillary Clinton, I'm also like, well, the other thing that is going on here is that we've literally never had a woman in power before. And so we don't know, like, truly to be a woman who can run for president, you probably had to have a husband who was a president. You know, like, it's like some, like, monarchy shit. This is how women have gotten power. First through the proximity of men who are near them. And because she goes through all this shit, we get to have different examples of how we can do it. But she's also somebody who I think is, like, incredibly smart. So if you're like me and you're, like, a woman nerd in politics, you're like, yes, like, this is... You know, like, it's okay to be a smart woman in public. Like, we get that message so many times that you're not allowed to be that. And so I, I don't know. I I always, like, genuinely have appreciated that about her. And I also appreciate that she's not afraid to talk about the things that people disagree with her about, you know? A lot of people, like, will not take those questions. They don't want to talk about it. And she will legitimately wrestle with you. Like, she's given her whole life to this country all the time, you know? Like, I was like, you don't, people don't have to do this. But she's a uniquely qualified person to do that. And also, as a woman from, like, the global diaspora, she is also somebody who, like, put the stories of, you know, women of color and of African women and policies to support them at the core early on. And so, you know, I will always stand. Yeah, I was uh, I was watching the coverage of the Bush 41 uh, funeral yesterday. And first of all, shout out to Hillary for not even giving Trump a glance. I know. Yeah. Not a hand, not anything. Uh, but but secondly, you hear everyone and they're just like, 
George Bush was such a diplomat and he was uniquely qualified to be president. George Bush did AIDS. And he <laughs> and he served in all these roles. And I was just like, who does that sound like Hillary? Yeah. I mean, the double standard is real, but it's also why it's not good to have only one. Like if you are the only black person or the only woman, like all people have in their imagination is what it's like for Barack Obama to be president. We don't have an imagination in which like black people are in power. We do not have, like in, in political science, this is actually very real. All of the data about a woman running for president is actually just about Hillary Clinton running for president. We have zero data about what the world looks like if a woman tried to run for president or a woman tried to take power in politics, which is insane. Right. It's insane. So I, yeah. So that's why like for as much as I love all of these people and their accomplishments, I'm not interested in tokens because this is why we fight all the time. It's why we're not happy. And it's why nothing changes. We can't just have one. Per- like if you are, if you are the first, you can become only very quickly. Let's talk about your podcast for a second. Tell me. Um, are you still enjoying it all these all these episodes in? I do. I literally, like, truly enjoy it. If I didn't, I wouldn't do it. No, totally. Well, or um, you could quit on this podcast. I could yeah, quit on like this podcast. And Gina, peace. <laughs> Please come in my check this month. Um, no, I genuinely, genuinely enjoy it. I, in- I, like, you know, a lot of people are afraid of, like, working with their friends. I love working with my friends. I mean, you guys siblings and you work together. I don't know how you do that. That's why. <laughs> like, like, I would not work with my siblings. But, like, you know what I mean? I The the kind of just, like, trust that you can have with people that you're intimate with about work, if you're on the level about everything else, is truly, I'm like, it's the most productive that you can be. You, like, trust that you trust the other people. You trust their taste level. You trust their strategy. You trust you know, like their vision. But also for me, it just motivates me more. If I am doing something just for myself, I'm gonna stay in bed all day. <laughs> but like today I'm like, okay, I'm doing this podcast and then I gotta write 3000 words for Anne by Monday for our book. <laughs> you know, like I am not gonna right. embarrass her or disappoint her. So I'm gonna do it. Yeah. But yeah, I enjoy doing it. I've really enjoyed like learning more stuff on the production side. Cause for a long time, like we were just hosting. Um, and so it's like learning about production has been really good. I'm also um, enjoying like doing a different kind of storytelling. So I want to start doing more reporting, more, you know, like a diff- like um, working on different formats. And, you know, but also the thing about it that is fun is that like, it's like we're running our small media company. So I love the business of it. That's dope. And that's been fun. That's Are you guys still dope. enjoying this? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that <laughs> no, yeah, 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 yeah. No. Audience, one of them no. <laughs> is looking very sullen. I won't say which one. <laughs> um, we both enjoy doing this. I think that doing two Jews and two black dudes review the movies has been mm-hmm. like this, like sort of enlightening experience where it's like, oh right, we can still do podcasting, but in a new way, and it gives you like this new sort yeah, of energy. Energy. And I what think do you guys that, like, do when you disagree? Uh, argue yeah like how oh like like how do you fix it oh how do we fix it mm-hmm. I mean time apologies yeah um, do you go to therapy together no yeah. you should look into it okay alright <laughs> that's good just to talkspace.com <laughs> headspace I think yeah, yeah. no I always like wonder how like partners do things like do you have like a it's mediator just, do you, no you no just, I like, think that it's it a lot of just yeah. discussion and, and 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 I listen we grew up together we love each other and we've done work for all of our lives together like on small things and significant things and yeah i don't know we before you got here we were like og jonas brothers i love this (laughs) 
and we have the bonus Jonas. Yeah, he's like yeah, he sits yeah. in his room. <laughs> you do have a bonus Jonas. Oh yeah. No, but we were we were just discussing like how to pitch someone right before you came, and Jeff and I had a difference of opinion. But it's not like life threatening, yeah. and it's not like the end of the world if if this person doesn't come on the podcast. So it's just right. like whatever. But yeah, no, I think the thing that that's most exciting about where we are right now is that um, we have all these different ideas. Like you know, we had we've had this one format for. Uh, 200 and some odd episodes but i think that in the beginning there was this idea that we would do experiments with a lot of different uh formats so we would have um you know 15 of our friends come over and tell like five minute stories and we would call it open mic night and it would just be like you know those sort of first date stories that you tell it just like kill in any room and so we want to do that again we want to do um you know i want to do more trivia stuff i want to do just like things that just like flip the idea of what this podcast is so like you know people can still be surprised and also we can still be excited yeah i mean we're 11 years into a career that has traveled a lot of different roads you know we've we've done uh sketches we've done original music we've done live performances we've done podcasts we've sold a tv show we've you know written a book we've we're very popular i mean you are merch listen i like I'm not saying that I'm like starstruck because I don't get starstruck. But you don't like, believe in, you know, like I remember when I was on the outside listening in, and now I'm here. Well, you no, know? like you guys been in around. the same seat, but as, but yeah. I but I, I think much like you, we're not afraid to switch things up, yeah. and we're not afraid to take chances, and yeah. we're not afraid, not afraid to, to fail because we've done that already. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, but I I do want to say this about you. I think it is so genuinely amazing and wonderful how unafraid you are when it comes to no well besides the germs thing (laughs) yeah but (laughs) i'm very afraid of germs but i I think overall like you're very you're very um brave in in how you live your life and that's not like just like the sort of textbook version of brave i think that's the sarah Pirellis version of it is That's what's playing in my head. No, but I, I am like, if black people can blush, I'm blushing. Like, I am sweating and stressed out. No, right I, now. I, I, Thank I, you. Congratulations on everything to this point and beyond. And and we're just thrilled to, to have you here. And thank you for bringing us weed. Yeah. Um, listen, um, you got to bring a gift all the time. That's, That's right. how you know I'm an immigrant. You know, mm-hmm. like, I do want to say one thing about the brave thing. Like, thank you. Thank you for not also, like, I get what you're saying, that it's not this textbook definition of it. The thing that I, like, want my body of work to do if we can call it a body of work one day is that i just want to give people permission to be themselves because i think that like when you share like i live out loud i'm like that's literally my life like live fucking out loud but that like when you share things about your life um that are things that you think that you are the only one that is going through you will find that actually one that's not true literally like all of life is one fucking big cliche (laughs) but also you're giving other people permission to say and think what they're doing and it's the only way that we get somewhere and so like i also just like really appreciate just the platform that you guys create to have people just be themselves and that you get to do that for work. It's also like, it's amazing to wake up every day and just be like, I can be myself at work. Totally agreed. And listen, you've had a fantastic career so far, but uh, not so bad for an African nanny, you know? Hey, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What are your big goals for next year? I don't know. I want to move. I want to go to Mexico. I want to... Um, I want to finish a whole bunch of projects that we've started. Name I, one project you want to finish. I want to finish our album. It's not done yet. Great. I, I really want to finish it. And we haven't been in the studio in a little bit. And I have ideas. So that's... Okay. I, yeah. I want to live out loud. And more importantly, <laughs> I want to... <laughs> 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 <laughs>
so much for coming all the way up to the Upper West Side. For this. I live here now. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening to this new episode of A Waste Time with It's The Real. Jeff, if people want to find out more about us, I am Eric. You are Jeff. Together, we are It's The Real. If you want to find out more about this podcast, it's called A Waste of Time with It's The Real. We also have our other podcast called Two Jews and Two Black Dudes Review the Movies. That's us and Styles P and Sheik Luke of The Lock. And Jadakiss. And Jadakiss. He's the official member of the podcast, even though he's not in the name. He's like the mascot. He's like the guy in Mighty Mighty Boss Tones who just dances on stage. <laughs> If people want to find out more, Jeff, about what's going on in our lives, besides the fact that we will not be living in this apartment for much longer, where can they go? You can always go to, well, wherever our new place is going to be, because who knows where that is. We uh, we are getting evicted. Well, until then, Jeff, well, let's let the people guess why we won't be living here anymore. But until then, Jeff, where can people go? You can go to itsthereal.com, and especially itsthereal.com slash shop. Yeah. Go get those three rhyme books that are on sale right now that are signed by us and also the locks. Get them now. Including Jadakiss, our mascot. Get them get them now. And you can also get shirts and, you know, other stuff. All that stuff. All that stuff. If you want to find our podcast, all of our old episodes and new ones are on iTunes. Search for It's The Real. Spotify. Search for It's The Real. And on SoundCloud, go to SoundCloud.com slash A Waste Of Time or... Go to soundcloud.com slash two Jews, two black dudes. You can also go and find us on Twitter at It's The Real, Facebook at It's The Real, and Instagram at It's The Real. Jeff, what if people want to find our music? If you want to find our music, you can go on Spotify and all other streaming services and search for Teddy Bear Fresh or just It's The Real. Jeff, my favorite part of the 12 Days of Podcast are all the people who are so excited for us just to say their names at the end of a podcast episode. And you know what time it is. It's time for me to make up biographies and guess what these people do. Okay, so you say the name and I'm going to guess what they do. Taylor the Great, W-V-L-L-Y. Okay, I'm going to guess that Wally is an engineer. Okay, OG Beak from New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm going to guess that OG Beak is an engineer. Bugsy Laveau. I'm going to guess Bugsy is an engineer. I'm going <laughs> to How about uh, Detroit Player? He's a player. Okay. Uh, Goom. He's a goon. <laughs> Goom the Goon? Uh-huh. I like that. I like that. SL1208. He's a piece of DJ equipment. Lank God, a.k.a. Newport Redenbacher. He breaks off Lucy's. Uh, our friend Norma Now down there in Miami, Florida. She's an engineer. How about, <laughs> how about our guy Marat Berenstein up here in New York City? He is an engineer. Okay, a lot of engineers on the check-in. Gil, Smooth G, who's checking in for the second time this year. He's the guy who makes our t-shirts, and he's also an engineer. Are we, wait, hold on. Are, are we, ta- it's a lot of engineers, it's fine. Uh-huh. My issue, though, what kind of engineer? Oh, like he, audio engineer? Or oh, no. Or talking, like, actual, like... No, I thought he, like, levels levies and stuff. Lalo3000. He is a cotton candy dispenser. Well, you know, you don't hear a lot about those these days. How about Josh, a.k.a. Smiles, a.k.a. Musicman88, a.k.a. the hip-hop Adam Schefter? He's uh, Adam Schefter. <laughs> How about Kobe Dean Bryant, also known as Sucks 11 He probably works at Twitter. <laughs> oh, by the way, Josh, I just found out, is out of Dallas by way of Akron, Ohio. And not for real, for real, at Sucks 11 uh, Black Dante, also known as Cotton... Cotton Smith? He is a teddy bear in his uh, in his avatar, so I'm gonna guess that he streams our album. Okay, Amanda B, 
Dominican 928. She's that smooth ass engineer. <laughs> and finally, not for real, for real, to Ponytail PHX, I'm guessing, from Phoenix. An engineer. A lot of engineers on the check in. As always, guys, not for real, for real. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Press.